You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status, and Orr! First time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like Eddie Shore. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Hey, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 121 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. And what do you know, despite preseason predictions, the Bruins, as it turns out, are not going to be going 82-0. They lose to the Ottawa Senators 24-20. to I mean, um, except for five uh, in the Senators' season opener. What a shit show that game was. That's the only way I can describe that one. Um, yeah, no, it was just a brutal, brutal. That was all in both teams, but specifically the Bruins. Holy smokes. That was one of the worst checking, worst coverage, worst defense all around, worst goaltending, everything was just terrible. And quite frankly, uncharacteristic, despite the injuries on the back end, Despite the back-to-back and despite a new coach and relatively new system, I mean, the, I don't think Jim Montgomery came into Boston expected to change all of the Bruins' philosophies at all. I think there's still a blueprint there from Bruce Cassidy and from Claude Julien before him. Um, but wow, was that was that tough to watch? Entertaining yeah, as well, and, but tough to watch. Well, and, and I, Jim Montgomery's mo isn't like up and down, run and gun, wide open hockey. Like that's not the way his teams have played in Dallas or Denver or anywhere else. Like um, he's had teams that have, that would have been good defensively. So, you know, it, it's not like he came in and totally ditched like Bruce Cassidy's defensive foundation, threw it out the window and was like, everyone just take flight, just, you know, just, Go up and down. So, but we've seen some of these cracks showing up even in the first three games with the wins. And it's, you know, you wonder if it's like new system, if it's structure, if it's that they're just not healthy enough on defense right now. But they've had some breakdowns, but obviously nothing compared to what we saw Tuesday night in Ottawa, where it was just right from the get go. And, you know, they way too much space in the give given up in their own zone on the first couple goals. Jeremy Swayman does not help them out. A couple shots he probably should have saved. Um, I know he was pretty down on himself after the game and ultimately ended up getting pulled after the second period after giving up six goals. But uh, Jim Montgomery said it after the game too. He said, you know, they also hung him out to dry, which they absolutely did. Uh, he said, you know, he called their defense a the defensive effort atrocious good word for it uh it, but you know it, it's the, the offense that we're seeing is great and they do score five goals again they've scored five goals in all four games so far but it can't be at the expense of uh this many mistakes defensively and i, I like i don't know about you guys but like i didn't even feel like what they gave up defensively was because they were like cheating offensively too much. Some of it was just 
really poor play in their own zone. Like two guys getting, you know, you get two defensemen stuck behind the net, like Zaboro and Strahlman on, on one. Um, or I think it was Zaboro and Strahlman that lose a battle. Strahlman has a turnover on another one. Like stuff that's just like the, the four and four goal where they have four guys back and they just no one picks up Artem Zub. Uh, walking right into the slot, and then he dances around Connor Clifton. Like uh, that, that stuff all wasn't. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll cut that out. Oh, I, I, I realized I didn't realize Scott, Scott spoke dog. Yeah. Oh man. No. no I sorry. Think... Just uh, switching to my second language there. You just heard something. I'll cut that part out. No, that's, that's funny. No, we we do not cut dogs out of this pocket. Okay, no, all right. Melvin got his two cents in then. Keep him on a leash over there, you. <laughs> the thing was, he was sound asleep, so he just must have been having a bad dream. <laughs> yeah, he he thought about he thought about uh, Lindholm and Riley falling over each other behind the net, and just was like woke up in a in a panic. And he had something to say about it. <laughs> Did you lose your train of thought, Scott? <laughs> yeah, probably. You no, I think I was. I think I was pretty much getting to the end of it, anyways. But <laughs> okay. my, my point was just like this wasn't even necessarily that. You know, they were just taking too many chances offensively and getting exposed, like on odd man rushes. It was just breakdowns in their own zone, which is so bizarre because that is like not what we expect from from Bruins teams. Yeah, and and I think you referenced this a little bit, but I noticed on a few a few of the scoring chances and at least one of the goals that a lot of the defenders ended up getting pulled back like behind the goal line. They were back behind the net and they were just completely out of position, leaving that slot area just wide open. Um and what Montgomery said was we got caught on the wrong side of the puck and that that's exactly what happened. Um they were just always behind the guy they needed to be defending rather than um, getting in their way, um, which obviously, like you mentioned, hung the goalie out to dry. There was nobody in front of the guys, a few of the guys when they scored, when they were shooting. So, um, you know, that the defensive breakdowns were apparent. Uh, I think particularly in the first 10 minutes and then also in the probably the last, the first 10 minutes of the first period, last 10 minutes of the second period, they were very sloppy. And that's when they were giving up all those goals. <laughs> I think they gave up, you know, the three goals in the first, the three goals in the second in those um, time frames. So it was just sloppy all around too. There, like there was offensive times where they were just, you know, just sloppy. Yeah. And it wasn't all bad, obviously. What, we're going to get to the offense later on too and discuss that, but this, th- these defensive laps lapses need to be discussed off the forefront. And let's just start right away because before we get to the defense, letting up in front of Swayman and hanging them out to dry, again, let's just paint the picture going into this game, right? It's, it's the second of a back-to-back you're going into Ottawa's home opener. There's a lot of hype around them in the off season from, from local fans and even, you know, NHL fans in general, that they have this new potent top six. And I think it was Ottawa's like first game in front of a sold out crowd in a few years. So they're hyped up. Think back to when the Bruins played the Islanders in the playoffs and that first game back from with fans of the Bruins, that's what Ottawa got to feel tonight, which is crazy. Cause I mean, that game for the Bruins was already a year and a half ago. So that just goes to show how long senators fans have been waiting to, to go in person in, in a full capacity. Well, I think well, that they could have, I mean, I think at one point they last year, they did get, like the green light to come back, but no, like people weren't all that excited and they, they was kind of slow coming yeah. back in. I think it's the, the additions this off season of like Giroux and to bring it is seems to really have energized that fan base. Yeah. It yeah. was kind of a combination, but like Brian, you're right that it, it took longer for them to get back in the, in the stands as well. So they, they had like, they've just been in this lull, I guess you could say where, where they hadn't, been able to go and then that kind of like the enthusiasm was gone especially with a team last year that was struggling a lot this year's team looks a lot better I mean a team that puts up seven goals against the Bruins who were three and zero going into the game they they looked good too Brady Kachuk looked looked great yeah and and with all that said right if you're the Bruins you knew you were going to come in and and uh, and Melvin I hope you're listening behind Bridget but um the Bruins now the Bruins the Bruins knew that 
they were going to have to come in and weather a storm, right? So in that in that situation, you need your best player to be your goaltender. And let's just be honest, both of those first two goals were were bad goals by Swayman. I mean, the Giroux one, at least that was in tight, and it was kind of a pump fake. And, and those goals happen. I'm not going to crucify Swayman for it. I didn't like it, but it happens, right? The Brady Chuck goal was from distance. It's on the ice. That can't go in. So right off the bat, you're down 2-0. And it just unraveled from there. They go down 3-0. And, yeah, guys, it's just Anton Strawman uh, didn't didn't have that steady, stay-at-home presence he had in his couple of preseason stints. So, you know, I'll, I'll give him a pass just because it's, a, it's his first game, and I'm sure he'll get better, but he was not great. Mike Riley is who Mike Riley is. I thought Forbert and Clifton, were they were fine. I thought Lindholm – I think there was something wrong with the skate blades because he was falling all over the ice. And Jacob Zaboro is a guy who you guys mentioned last last episode. He really struggled. Uh, he doesn't seem that quick out there. He seems overwhelmed by by the NHL speed, despite looking really good in a you know early preseason game against a bunch of nobodies. And what I really didn't like about Zaboro was his lack of compete. There were there were a few occasions in particular where he just he just didn't he just got outworked. I mean, he could have he probably got outworked all night, but there was a few in particular. And one was after he he played a um he played who was it? Uh, I think it was Stutzel. He hit Stutzel behind the net. Um, pretty hard hit, pretty hard collision, and he knew he had a target on his back after that. And uh, the puck comes back down, and he feels the forechecking pressure. And this is after the Bruins tied at 3-3. And because the, the corner camera, you can see face on, you just saw him straight up just bail out of the of, of what would have been uh, a four check because he didn't want to, he didn't want to um, you know get plastered. And it's like, dude, are you what are you doing? Next thing you know, the pucks, the pucks in the back of your net. So yeah, Sleeman wasn't great. Yeah, the defense was terrible and uh you know, I'll throw it back to you guys, but it's just nobody nobody was good in the back end tonight. Yeah, and with Zaboral, it's like it's funny because like last episode we were talking about you know Carlo having to better brace himself for hits. With so like I like I you know defensemen should brace themselves for hits, like you know be ready to take it, but brace to take it and and you know and have the puck tied up like. You, you can't just completely bail out like Zaboral did, especially not right behind your net where that's all it's going to take to create a dangerous scoring chance is for you to not, not tie the puck up, not tie the guy up, like just leave it there for him. Um, just can't happen. And, you know, it's, you wonder if he's still feeling tentative because of the knee or, or, you know, last game we speculated that, or I speculated that like, Maybe, you know, it's just getting used to a new system. That obviously wasn't a system thing. That was like, you hate to say afraid, but it, that's how it comes across. It looks like you're afraid to take a hit. Um, and, you know, Strawman, I'm sure he was rusty. It's been a while since he's played, even a preseason game. I think he, I don't think he played the last two or three preseason games. Um, and just a total, just like a very weird situation with him in general, where he's waiting for this visa issue, which, by the way, still isn't resolved. He only I was going to ask you that, Scott, he because, th- because he it's was in Canada. Yeah, he's only allowed to play because he was in Canada. That was that was my question. Was like, is this because his visa was figured out? But I I also knew that he had to go to Canada first to play before he could come play back in Boston. So it's kind of a weird situation with him. Well, yeah, but. He had to go to Canada and come back to get the visa, but I, I don't know if like that's happening as part of this trip. Like if he's gonna get approval like as they come back, or if he has to stay longer or wait. Like I don't know. I don't. I don't entirely. As I said last podcast, I don't entirely get it. Um, I don't work for the Im- immigration and customs office, but he, he was allowed to play in Canada, so he plays tonight. I, you know, I thought that was going to be a good thing for them because it seemed like they, you know, could really use that kind of calm veteran. But as as we've said, he he was not that uh, tonight. He looked very rusty and and just wasn't making you know 
that like smooth, just calm, right play that we saw him making in preseason. And I think I think we're having that recency bias again, where we're like we're we're we are always recording on like the backside of of like a back to back, and the and the backside's always a loss. And we're like we just watched this incredible game by like Jake DeBrusque and and just a good team effort um, Monday. Uh, against the Florida Panthers, who have been uh, like a good team in the conference, was really their first test, and then we're we're getting this. You know, we're reacting mostly to this Ottawa Senators game, but um, the defense didn't look bad in that in the Florida game. I they I mean the the Clifton Forbert pairing was deserved credit after that that their performance against the Panthers, and and then unfortunately it kind of like gets drowned out. Um, with the second game. Yeah, I thought I thought the Florida game, like I did think they gave up some chances. I mean, they ended, ended up giving up, what, like 39 shots. And, you know, one of the big differences was Allmark stepped up and, and you know, made, made the saves he was supposed to make and some that, you know, you might, that he might not, you know, uh, be supposed to making. But um, Swayman just didn't have that on Tuesday, like right from the, you, right from the get go, because you fall down to nothing and it's, it all kind of just unravels from there. So I think that's a situation where like, you know, goaltending was a, a huge difference because I do think there were mistakes made Monday as well. They just didn't end up in the back of the net. Yeah. Do you think this game is different if they, you know, they, they start all Mark, I know it's a back to back, so they don't like to do that, but like, do you, do you think this is a different outcome with all Mark in net? Um, I don't know because se- second night of a back to back, especially this early in the season, could be tough. So, um, they they were never going to do that. So you know, I'm fine with that. Like I, I liked the plan of rotating at least the first four games, and now it gets interesting to see where it goes from here because Allmark has been really good in his two starts, and Swayman obviously was not good Tuesday night. So, do you continue to rotate or do you already? you know, maybe give Allmark an extra start here or there until, uh, you know, until Swayman kind of catches up. Well, also, because I don't think nobody would have anticipated Swayman having the outing he had. Uh, There was nothing in his past to tell us he would. So as far as playing Monday morning quarterback, could, could the Bruins have won this game? And uh, yeah, they could have won a game if Allmark started, but it, it would have been a different game. It could have been a situation where it, it believe it or not, it could have been one, nothing after the first period instead of, you know, three, one or whatever. And I mean, I think going down three Oh ignited the Bruins into having to wake the hell up. And so it would have been a different game with all Mark, but we can't say they would have won or lost either way, but I, you can't second guess the decision to go with swim. I mean, he, he you have two number one goalies, but I, I, no, I think, I, I think that, I don't mean the decision was wrong. I just wonder if just based on the game that Swayman had, like I feel like Allmark makes a few of those saves and and it ends up being a little bit different. Not that the decision to go with two different goalies in a back-to-back is ever the wrong decision. It's always, um, you know, a smart decision to give a goalie rest and, and to split there, especially when you have two goalies that are capable, but just in, I guess, hindsight. um, I mean, I think that some of those saves Allmark probably would have had. For sh- yeah, for sure. But I mean, I think if the Bruins, if you if you would tell me, do the Bruins still put up five goals in all mark starts? Then yeah, they probably win. But because of the butterfly effect, it's impossible to see how the game would have played out. But yeah, I mean, it's I'm sure all mark would have had those those first few saves that you're referring to. So I, I want to ask you guys. I'm not going to be idiotic enough to ask you, should we be worried about Swayman? Because it's it's <laughs> pump the brakes there, Brian. What I will ask you is, do you think it's just can you explain maybe why he would have had a, 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 a an uncharacteristic game? It wasn't just the goals he let up. There were some shots where it just seemed like he was just totally off his angle, and he just didn't look like himself. Can you? Ex- is there a reason for that, or do you think it's just just chalk it up to one of those nights? And do you think? Do you think what I will ask also is could this potentially mess with the psyche for the next couple of games? Um, I don't think it'll mess with the with the psyche. Like I think Swayman's pretty pretty strong mentally like even listen hearing him uh and seeing some of the quotes after this game 
you know, you're saying like, I'm going to make it up to them. Like, I know I didn't do my job type thing. Um, you know, I, I think he'll be fine. Like he, he seems, he doesn't seem like the kind of goalie person player who really gets down on himself or like lets things snowball. So I think he'll be fine. Um, I feel like every time we talk to him, he says, it's just another game. Like his playoff games, he's like, well, it's just this game. Like, I don't remember anything behind it. I don't think ahead. It's just about this game. So that's pretty much a very common answer for him. Yeah. And as as far as why it happened, uh, who knows? I mean, maybe it's just, maybe he hasn't really like found his rhythm or just some early season timing stuff track like who knows but what we do know is that you know goalie coach bob ascends has been around a long time has worked with a lot of goalies a lot has helped a lot of goalies turn into really good goalies multiple Vezina winners on his resume um you know i think they'll get it figured out usually he he is very good at identifying issues whatever it might be whether it's you know how he how he's reading passes how he's pushing off like it could be anything and uh you know i suspect that they'll get it fixed pretty quickly and swayman will probably look much better next time he's out there or next week or whatever yeah and all mark last night mentioned goalie bob like he was saying that all the work because because all mark obviously had a really great game and and maybe even you know made some saves he shouldn't have made and he was saying you know goalie coach bob has us in a really good place and, and going into the season, like that he gave him a lot of credit and how both goalies feel um, at this point early in the season. So I kind of more think it might just be a one-off. Um, let's wrap up the defense with this. Um, the personnel is more or less what it is uh, going forward. As far as we know, until, until we know otherwise, right. Unless Grizzly comes back sooner or, Car- or Carla comes back sooner than expected. But this, this, this rotation of defensemen seems to be it, right? I mean, they called up Dan Rudolph. They send him back down. I imagine Strawman will you – know, he's he'll be in going forward. So Well, well if, his, if the next. visa issue is fixed, which we, we just yeah. don't know yet. Well, fair, fair. So um, let's just assume that he that it does get figured out. Um, we I think we all like the Forbert-Clifton pairing. Uh, the other the other two pairs is kind of in, in flux. So, again, with the personnel kind of being what it is right now, it's, is it simply just a – Hey, ride it out situation, just improve with reps. Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't really think they have many other options. Like, um, you know, we don't know when Carlo's going to be back, hopefully within, you know, so he's out at least seven days from the time of the injury because he did go on IR. So obviously you hope, you know, it's not much longer than that. But yeah, otherwise it's, you know, this is basically they're six unless they call someone else up again. So, um, you know, maybe tweak the pairings. Like, I, I don't know if you, you know, try Lindholm with Strawman. Strawman obviously played there before, but that's who Strawman was with when he committed that turnover behind the net. He was trying to make that pass to Lindholm. He was out there with him at the time. So, um, you know, I, I do think, if they had enough bodies, I could definitely see Zaboral sitting right now. Like we see, you know, I know we're going to get to the forwards in a minute. We see Montgomery sitting forwards that aren't giving enough, like Craig Smith. Like I definitely think Zaboral would kind of be in that line on defense, but they just don't, they just don't really have enough bodies to do that. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about probably if the visa situation isn't fixed by Thursday, seeing Renouf come back up or maybe even Jack Sean. We don't know um, exactly, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was Renouf again. Um, so, yeah, it, I, I actually don't mind trying Strawman back with Lindholm, though. Um, I think that that is kind of a good balance because I think by far and away Lindholm right now is your best defenseman. And so you pair him with somebody who might have a little bit of rust, and I think that he maybe covers a little bit of that up. Um, and I, it, which much better than the Zaboral Strawman pair. I, I just felt like they kind of spread those two guys out because those guys are struggling, put them with, so, with someone that's not. Yeah. But then, then you can end up with a Zaboral Riley pairing, which I don't know how good I feel about that either. So 
not not a ton of great options until they I mean, look, they're missing three of their top four defensemen. Like it's it's not gonna really look pretty. So No, um, and it's changed every night so far. Yeah. And I, I, I liked I liked Dan Ruff's game, by the way, uh, against Florida. I liked what he brought, all things considered. So moving up moving along to the forwards, as Scott said earlier in the podcast, this is their fourth consecutive game to start the year with scoring at least five goals. Um, so that's great. And and they continue to get it from up and down the forward lines. And tonight against Ottawa, Pashnak got his third goal of the season. AJ Greer got his third. Bergeron got, got his third. Krejci got his second. I'm just going off the top of my head. Uh, Felino got his second. By the way, the first goal that was an actual shot by Nick Felino, I think, uh, on the Bruins, everything else prior was kind of a tip-in, including his goal against the Coyotes. So it was yeah. nice to see. And I'm and I'm actually really happy for for Felino because he this is who we thought he was when they brought him in. We thought he was that that four checking presence, veteran leader who could pot a couple of goals, and 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 he's doing he he's been much better. So that's very encouraging. And um, who else got one? Uh, De, yeah, DeBrusque obviously played well, but he didn't score in this game. I don't believe so. I, I might be blanking on who else scored a go- couple goals tonight, but because there was one hundred and two of them. Regardless, <laughs> the offense got off tonight. I think he did. Okay, too. all right, all right, good, good. Um, so the offense looks really looks really solid, and um, obviously dating back to the Florida game, Jake DeBrusque had a phenomenal game as well. So, um, and Pasta had a highlight real goal and helping his cause to to get paid when that happens inevitably. So, guys, just your your thoughts on the offensive game through four games? Well, it, it's certainly very encouraging uh, to have basically every line going, contributing. Um, getting inside ice. So I haven't checked the updated stats, but I know after Monday uh, they were second in the NHL in high danger, high danger chances. Um, last year, they were middle of the pack. They were 15th. So when you hear all off season, you know, Neely Sweeney Montgomery, when he comes in, talk about getting to inside ice more, like that's it to me. Like that's the stat where that's going to reflect is high danger chances. So They've Scott's been doing a much better. Stat. Yeah, they've been doing a maybe not my favorite stat. I like expected goals. Um, you like Corsi? Yeah. No, I think expected <laughs> goals is probably my favorite. Quick, <laughs> quick top five stats rankings. <laughs> um, but high high danger chances. That's it's a, it's a good one, and and they're getting them this year. Um, and it's a huge reason why the offense is going. And I think every line has been doing it like. Krejci and Pasternak, it's been more through skill. They're getting there through, you know, Pasternak's dancing, ducking, and diving, or through Krejci's passing. Uh, Bergeron and DeBrusque have been all around the net. Greer, Frederick Coyle, when they've been on, have been all around the net, creating havoc on the forecheck. And same with the fourth line. Like, Felino's doing a good job getting there. Um, Lauko, when he's been in... uh, so, you know, very encouraging, but obviously goes, you know, at least on Tuesday, goes hand in hand with not getting the job done at, at the other end. But um, I would just say that the chances that they're creating are even beyond just the goals to me is is very encouraging. Yeah, they, they're kind of coming in layers this year, whereas last year, the, you know, the depth kind of tra- uh, trailed off once you got to the third line and the fourth line. I will say Felino had on his goal. He had a very good individual effort. He made the steal and it was actually a really important steal in the defensive zone because Clifton's stick broke and they're about to kind of be in in an odd man situation because he didn't have a stick. So it was almost going to be like a five on four if Felino didn't get it out. And I'm just sitting here thinking, oh, he's got to get the puck out. And what does he do? Not only does he get the puck out, he starts skating it up. He makes a pass and then he goes towards the net, tips it in or or I guess shoots it in. Um, And it was just a, a great individual effort by him and he has looked better this year than he did last year and that's why Craig Smith is the one getting healthy scratched right now if you had asked me before the season started who was going to be the, you know the first healthy scratch um I guess besides Stanika who hasn't gotten into any of the games yet I would not have guessed it was Craig Smith I would have thought you know Frederick I would have thought Felino 
I would I would not have thought Craig Smith would be getting scratched so early in the season. Yeah, well, me neither. But when you actually step step back and, and look at his game overall the last little while, it's 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 not as surprising. And there's a little bit of more meat on that bone. So I think so I'll I'll give more thoughts on Craig Smith in a little bit. But just to touch on Felino again real quick, because the other thing too about him is that and again, it's important to remember he got he got, and I brought it up last episode, but he got waived. So like that's it's it's just it's it's all that much more impressive that he's been able to just kind of move on from that. But he seems to be getting from point A to point B quicker this year too. And I don't know if it's because he's healthier, because of the fresh start, it, whatever the case may be, he's just overall better. And and if he can play this way and stay healthy, and I, then as crazy as this sounds based off of last year and how anemic he was offensively, if he plays like this, I have no reason to doubt that this Nick Felino can give you 10 to 15 goals this year. I, there's, I just don't think that – I think that's very realistic if he plays like this. Yeah, and he'd gotten taken off the power play um, either unit last season by the end of the year, and now he's back on it. So, And he's playing that role in front of the net, so he's going to have – better chances if they keep him on that second unit of the power play and Jim Montgomery also rewarded him with um with extra tacker minutes tonight too against Ottawa so and not because of his name but because he he's earned it I mean he's he's reliable to get to the dirty areas based off of his play so far this year and that includes preseason um and I like to own up when not when I'm wrong but if I'm gonna if I'm gonna shit on somebody I'm when they play poorly, I'm going to give them props when I think that they played well. And I think the last two games, Thomas Nosek has been better too because he's been more engaged and he's used his body and, and his size more. And maybe he was just didn't care because it was preseason. I don't know. But he's been better the last two games as well. And Lauko has, has drawn drew another penalty at a point in this game where it could have gotten the Bruins back within one and they didn't capitalize on the power play. And that's fine. But I, I did want to talk about Jake DeBrusque and I want to throw it to you guys um, because – because last year, obviously, Jake DeBrusque requested a trade in November sometime. And rightfully so, like the fan base wasn't too happy about that because they, they took it personally, despite the fact that it wasn't a, a, because the fans or his teammates of the city. It was because of his relationship with the coach, as we know. Uh, he requested a trade. And so all year, it was, gonna, it was will he stay or will he go type thing. And my fear was if you're going to trade Jake DeBrusque at the trade deadline, you can't lose the deal just to appease the player who wants to go. You, Don Sweeney's job was to make the Bruins as best as they could be going into the playoffs. And we all agreed that Jake DeBrusque made that team better going into that playoff run, unless they were able to trade him for a player of equal or better value, in which case we would have assessed that depending on who the player was. My fear was that they were just that they were going to trade him for a lesser lesser value, and then Jake DeBrusque was going to have that, in his mind, freedom and fresh start with some miscellaneous Western Conference team and go off and play the way we all knew he could play. Because, again, nobody got frustrated with Jake DeBrusque because we didn't think he had potential. You only get frustrated when you see something and then don't see it, right? So my fear was he was going to go do that for somebody else. So my question, not a question, but it's it's almost like it's it, it's assessing now the, the trade that never was because the Bruins do end up firing Bruce Cassidy, which we know I didn't love. But now Jake DeBrusque in that Florida game was a prime example. He is playing the way I feared he would have played with somebody else had he been traded, but he's playing that way with the Bruins now this year with Jim Montgomery. I mean, his his goal against the Panthers 30 seconds in he starts in the defensive zone, outraces uh, Forsling, and you know sh- scores a nice goal. But the Bergeron goal, he he beats Aaron Ekblad, who probably is injured, maybe, and he ended up leaving the game afterwards. But forces the play down the ice, outworks him, passes to Bergeron. It, it's just, it's what we expected from him all along. And I'm not going to get into the weeds of 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 why we hadn't seen it before. I think we beat that horse to death. But regardless. Just your guys' thoughts on, on Jake DeBrusque this year and, and if this is something we can count on consistently. I, I'm going to just take this first because this is what I wrote about last night. Um, I, I just wrote an article about um, how 
Jim Montgomery said he was showing much more than what he expected. And he had this better hockey sense than most players in the NHL, which is very high praise. Obviously, um, we know some of the guys on the team like Bergeron and Krejci have this great ability to to read plays and, and that high hockey IQ. But he came in and said that that was one thing he didn't know about him was just how well he reads plays and makes plays and um, you know, kind of his hockey smarts, I guess you could say. He knew about the speed um, and the skill set, but he was just not aware of how well he made plays in his, you know, you, you kind of see it. And and DeBrus joked about it in the locker room after the game where he made that empty net goal spinning around, like throwing the puck towards the net from a long distance away and then falling down that it was um, a birthday bounce, he called it. But I, but it also comes from being aware of where you are and just, you know, maybe it's a, it's a lucky bounce. I'm sure that's part of it, but he was aware the net was open. He had the lane and just tried to throw it that way. Um, and he used his speed to his advantage the way that we saw him before. And I think it has a lot to do with confidence. He said his confidence is a lot better this season. Um, and he, he credited Montgomery a little bit too with his system stuff, but I think you know, you can see a night and day difference in his play. Um, and especially, by the way, he was coming off an injury, wasn't even expected to play against Florida. He he came in and he told the guys, hey, good luck tonight, guys. And then all of a sudden he was on the ice for warmups and they were like, what, what the heck? He's playing. And he was like, yeah, I, I felt good enough to play. So he wasn't even, you know, supposed to play. He comes in. He has this inc- incredible game. Good thing he did play. He made a big difference in that game against Florida who was, you know, the first conference team or a first uh, team in their division, I should say, that they end up playing. So, I mean, it he looked completely different. And when we talked to him, he seemed a lot happier, a lot more smiles from him. So it's good to see. Yeah, and good to see him play again Tuesday because, you know, you come back Monday off the injury, you know, where you weren't really sure. You wonder, okay, is he going to bounce back well and play again Tuesday? And obviously he did. Um, you know, as far as like the way he's playing, I I think it like, this is how he finished last year too. I mean, let's remember, like he was playing great down the stretch last season. Um, especially when he got moved up to the top line with Bergeron and Marchand. And I had this in my season preview, but the final over the final 34 games last season, he had 18 goals, 27 points for an 82 game pace. That would be 43 goals. And now he's obviously continuing at that pace, you know, if not more this year. So you're going on almost half a season where he's been at like a 40, 45 goal pace. Um, Do I think he's going to score 40 this year? No, I think he'll finish, you know, somewhere less than that. But I think he's going over 30, like no doubt. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's in the 35 range if he stays healthy, but because He's in a great situation. Obviously, he's much happier. Uh, he's playing much better. He looks confident. He looks like he's having fun. And he's right now he's doing it, you know, without Martian on the other side. So, like, you you want to you know, sometimes you wonder, like, okay, like, is he just feeding off, you know, the more talented plays he's playing with? Now it's it's like him and Bergeron are, are the duo that's not being separated. Like, they've – I mean – one thing I wanted to bring up that I'll get to in a minute is like Jim Montgomery is changing everything up, but all the time, but like DeBrusque, he, I think has been one of the drivers of offense. Like he's not, he's not a passenger. He's not getting picked up by line mates. He's, he's doing some picking up. Like he's the one creating stuff, you know, not just the two goals he scores Monday, but the one he sets up for Bergeron, he, he creates entirely by himself with his speed. And then, you know, a great behind the back pass. Um, but since I just touched on it, I did want to mention this. Like, do you guys, what do you guys think of how often Montgomery is changing up lines, especially in the top six? Because just on Tuesday night, he tried three different top six configurations. Started the game with, it was Zaka, Bergeron, um, DeBrusque, and Hall, Krejci, Bostonag, which is how they finished Monday's game. And that switch had worked Monday. Those two lines played well in the second half of the game, but then he went back. Uh, then he flipped. Was it Hall and, and DeBrusque at one point? And then at one point he had the check line back together. He had Zach on the right side at one point with 
um, Krejci and Hall, I think. And it's. Yeah, there was a very extended shift where it was just completely switched up with, yeah, Zaka, Krejci and Hall. And it was just like, first of all, you're putting two left wingers out with Krejci, your center. And it was weird, but they had a lot of chances. The weird thing that shift was like an all offensive zone shift. And I was just thinking like, no, this definitely wasn't just like a mismatch where they accidentally got caught like half changed. It was what he went with and and they didn't look bad, but I get what you're saying, Scott. I have I go back and forth with it because it's like it's early, so maybe you just want to see what you have and see what the combinations can bring for you. But also, which goes against that, it's early and you want to start chemistry in some way, shape, or form. So it could go like you could think about it either way. I personally would rather see it be more consistent. Well, well what I thought was – well, first of all, my first comment on on the line shuffling is that you're exactly right, Scott. Jake DeBrusque is being relied upon by the coaching staff right now. He's not he's not a passenger. He's he's one of the more noticeable guys every shift. One player in particular they need more out of is Taylor Hall, in my opinion. He has been kind of on the on the contrary, a bit of a passenger. Um, but. You know, I, I kind of forget exactly when. By the way, Taylor Hall only got two shifts in the third period. Tuesday. Really? Yeah, he. Yeah. I noticed that he was just non-existent. So Jim's Jim Montgomery, he's not afraid. He's not afraid to, to 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 disperse ice time and take take it away from 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 uh, established guys. Um, that I, I didn't. I did notice he was seldom out there, but I didn't know it was two shifts. But Which kind of flies it kind of flies in the face of what we had heard coming into this that he was like, you know, I guess not like it doesn't hundred percent fly in the face of it, but he was supposed to be like chummy with the players, like he like could be a player's coach. And like it seems like he's not afraid to actually do his job and, and not just try to appease people when you see stuff like that with Hall. Which is what I which is what I talked about in the preseason. It's like he's supposed to come in, he'd be the polar opposite of Bruce Cassidy and rub their shoulders and you know, whatever, but, um, over the course of 82, it's just not going to happen. There's going to be adversity and you're going to have to be bad cop. And, and he has been to his credit. So he's answered that question right away. Um, but Scott, you'll have, maybe you have to remind me, did the, did the line shuffling? Cause I thought that when he took Pasternak, Krejci and Hall apart from each other, I was surprised at how early it was, but I also wasn't surprised because they were such a liability out there defensively. Um, I'm curious, did they, did he start tinkering with the lines when they were down three Oh, because I got the sense that he was ironically enough, the Bruins scored five goals. It's almost like he was tinkering with the lines so much throughout the game at first to get a spark offensively. But once they had three goals, four goals, five goals, he still kept tinkering. And at that point it was almost like he was, he kept changing the lines for the opposite. He was almost changing the lines, not to keep scoring goals. Well, they still, they were constantly kind of behind but he was trying to stop the bleeding he like every offensive line that was out there was kind of just a liability and there were, everybody was so it's almost like he was like well we've given up six goals at the two like we still need to tie the game but we can't keep giving up 10 we can't give up 10 goals so it's interesting to me it's almost like he was trying to change the lines for more stability and, and kind of to kind of stop the bleeding yeah so in, in my notes i have the, the first line change came after three nothing that's when he goes to debrusque bergeron Pasternak, hall Krejci, zaka and it almost immediately pays off because it's debrusque Pasternak, bergeron that combine for the goal um you know bergeron and a rebound and then i think the second change came there were there were a few like there were a couple throughout the game like random shifts here and there but i think at some point in the second and you might be right it might be once the senators started to get away again to five three or six three um that they tried it again but i know so the goal to get it to six five that was still debrusque bergeron and pasan are together but um yeah and then obviously changes on the third period with hall you know essentially getting benched for I think it was like almost 11 minutes between his shifts. So that forces another change. Um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of with Bridget and like, I get that he, he, he's just trying to find a spark and you know, he's, it's clear that he will 
go away from something that he doesn't feel is working. On the other hand, like Bridget, at some point, like I think you want to roll and kind of let guys figure out their own issues. Like let them work through it. Even if that means, you know, giving up a goal here or there. And not that I'm saying like, it's okay to throw away points or whatever, but I do think you want some continuity, like going multiple games where you're multiple games in a row where you're changing up your lines in game. And in this case, doing it twice in game. Um, I like, I just wonder if that starts to wear on guys at some point where, you know, we talked about like how excited Krejci and Pass and our guy to play are to play together. And then it's like, okay, but you keep, you know, taking them off my wing, like every game and a half, you know, what's it like, what's the deal? Are we playing together or is it like we play together until we have a bad couple shifts and then he's, you know, Pasadena goes with Bergeron. Um, I just, because I think that is something that wore on some players under Cassidy was, you know, like I think about like some quotes Charlie Coyle had towards the end of last season where he would be like, yeah, if, you know, I thought we were playing well, talking about playing with Frederick and Smith. But then, like, they would have, like, one bad game and Frederick would be a healthy scratch or they'd change the lines up. And I'm not even saying that's not justified. Like, I, fine, whatever. Like, I, I have no real affinity for keeping Trent Frederick there if he's not playing well. But you could tell, like, some guys weren't happy with how often their lines got switched. Yeah, because it's kind of like, it's kind of like, well, it was one game. Like, or it was like, it was one stretch. It was not you know, a consistent thing and, and they just wanted to keep working at it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit, I'm sure frustrating for guys, especially the check line, like the check line looked like they were doing very well. First two games of the season, they go into the third game Monday against Florida. They start the game out like that. And then they get, they get switched around. Um, they move Zaka up to the first line. Um, and I wasn't, I, I honestly thought they'd go back to it today they didn't so it they've they've split up the check line for you know a game and a half now um and they were a very well, high uh, offensive yeah scott yeah well and they did eventually end up back on he changed things so yeah, much true. That, like they did end up <laughs> back together in the third it almost felt like to me he did say that in after monday night's game he did it because things were stagnant and i almost felt like it was directed at taylor hall and i feel like it still was on Tuesday where he's kind of trying to shuffle people around Taylor Hall. And that's the player that he's trying to provide the spark for, um, which you don't want to coach that way either, where you're trying to just get one guy, you know, um, more offensive spark, especially with someone that has the skill like Taylor Hall. I tried to tell you guys, I tried to tell you, thank God we had Jacob Loco with a crazy and passion act day one of training camp. <laughs> I tried to tell you, get them together early and often. It's a short camp. And how many preseason games did that trio play together? Oh, none. Ah, oh, you know, sometimes it just takes a little bit of continuity before you get going. I know they're pros. I know they know each other. But, hey, it wouldn't have hurt is all I'm saying. Obviously, I'm being a little facetious here. But um, but you also will take any opportunity for a victory lap. So <laughs> I just – you you could you couldn't give me a reason in this world why it was beneficial to those guys to not have them together in the starting camp. Whatever. See, it's I fine. already forgot I guess, about I that, but Brian did. Regular season. Which what was that? So well, I already just, forgot about that, but Brian's still mad. I actually I totally forgot until you guys were talking about it, and I, I was like, ding ding ding. Brian's always there. He's always on the ball. But I just you know. I my philosophy was it's better to try it out in preseason than the regular season. Now I will say again, I'm, I'm wait a minute. I'm, your first take was that you hated it. Hated what? That, that was his only take. Is <laughs> that you hated the fact they weren't like that they had the Brian, lines all jumbled up, and then you backtracked on it the very next episode. <laughs> Brian's trying to blue pill everyone right now. <laughs> we well, remember. Brian. I have. I it's have. It's all coming back. I have. I plead the fifth. All that, all, that should all, be all, that. That should be a new feature. It should be can we can we convince each other and the listeners that we actually had a completely different take than we did? <laughs> hey, just I, always I, start wait, the wait, sentence. Wait, I wait, do so start- what do you what do you, what are you saying? I I I didn't like Loco with them in the training camp, right? That's what we're saying. 
Yeah. Oh, right, here yeah. he goes again. When, when, <laughs> when, did I back, when did I backtrack on that? I still don't like that. What, what am I missing here? Oh, my God. All you have to do is start your sentence with, just like I said, and then say whatever the hell you want, and you sound like you're right. <laughs> prove, me, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. They don't we'll go to the work tape. We'll so go far to together. The they, they could have used the practice. That's all I'm saying. Um, no, but Jim Montgomery, honestly, to to your point, Scott, about letting them roll and, and letting them letting them make mistakes, not not at the cost of you know losses, I guess. But it kind of it kind of strikes me as a coach who is coaching, knowing he he needs to collect points and put points in the bank while he has key guys out. It's almost like he knows how important this stretch of games is and he's coaching like it's game seven of the cup finals because he needs to get these points. Obviously he knows he's not going to get every two points all every game, but that he's coaching with a level of desperation that you don't necessarily see. Uh, well, I don't know if that's accurate, but the, the constant line shuffling seems kind of like a desperation move. I don't know if I'm no, you can, I can see it. But- I could see it like that a, a little bit and, but only with the top six though, he hasn't really, moved the today especially he wasn't really shuffling that bottom six all that much but i i think you have a point there brian like it you usually you see people be more patient the first few games of the season than he's been just like i just like i said just like you said um actually but this is a good that's a great term, transition bridget so on the third line the the, the main bottom six tinkering has been the scratching of Craig Smith. And I don't know, it just kind of seems like, and I, and, and Fluto or somebody tweeted out his seven minutes of ice time last game against Florida and how it was by at least two or three minutes, the lowest of all the forwards. And you you watch the game and it's like, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Like he's not, it's not an effort issue with Craig Smith. He works hard, but the execution, the, the production just hasn't been there. And, and so I, I looked into it and dating back to, did his his last 30 games with the Bruins, or maybe it was 25, whatever it was, regular season and playoffs, he has like six points. Um, and overall with the Bruins in what is it, two and a half seasons, but it's kind of tough because it's been hybrid seasons. Um, 131 games played, 29 goals, 31 assists, 60 points. It's like 0.45 points per game from Craig Smith. But a lot of that was kind of earlier on. The, that's the second half of that stretch has been a struggle. So I, I guess, um, what are you guys' thoughts on on Craig Smith? Can he's can he? We know he's a streaky player. Can he salvage? Can you see him salvaging a twenty goal, forty point season this year? Or do you kind of think it might not be in the cards for him this year? And the Bruins come come springtime. When well, I let's go ahead, Scott. Well, I was gonna say I'm starting to wonder if he gets the springtime. I mean, we. Talk about how this team has to move out salary at some point. And we all, you know, point to Felino to Riley. Well, guess who else is right in that like three to three and a half million dollar salary range? Craig Smith at 3.1. Um, and I know, you know, like his name came up a few times in the off season. And at the time I was like, I don't get it. Like you, you need to add to your third line, not subtract. But if they find another third line combination that works, like AJ Greer. AJ Greer is playing like a legitimate third line forward right now, and he's producing. And I don't know if that's going to continue. Like his track record obviously would suggest that it's not, but we know how much he has completely transformed as as a player and a person. You know, he's talked about it like how he thinks he really found himself last season in playing in the AHL in Utica, and what he's bringing right now. Uh, you can use on a third line. Like he, it's it's everything. He's he's been physical. He's going in on the forecheck. He's creating chances. He's finishing when he gets his chances. Yeah, um, that that was the first thing I noticed. Uh, you know, watching Greer play on Tuesday, I'm I'm watching him finish that pass from Coyle off the wall, and I'm thinking I've seen Craig Smith get that chance before this season, and he's missed it. So it's I'm watching AJ Greer finish the chances and knowing that we've seen Craig Smith chip those wide. Yeah. So like, you know, eventually when Martian returns, Zaka, we think it's going to be Zaka who goes down to the third line. I guess that could change between now and then, but if Greer sticks and Smith hasn't played his way back, 
I'm not sure that fourth line is the ideal spot for him. And I hit like you really gonna have like two, three million dollar plus salaries on your fourth line. Um, so you know, it was something that like I was starting to think about Monday night when he's on the fourth line, he only gets seven minutes and he's not involved in either special teams, which Jim Montgomery has said over and over, like he wants guys in the top in the in the bottom six rather earning more ice time through special teams. Um, Smith was a part of the second power play, you know, last year, he has not been a part of it so far this season. Uh, you know, he really hasn't killed penalties much with, with the Bruins and certainly not this year. So it's like, if he doesn't really fight his way back to a third line role, like what, what, why are they keep, why would they keep him around? Like, I think he becomes, if he hasn't already, he certainly becomes part of that conversation of like guys you look at when it comes time for the Bruins to have to move out some salary. Yeah. He, I mean, the move to get AJ Greer, it, it proved to, you know, be the competition that we didn't know Craig Smith was going to have, um, you know, before preseason. Um, and it kind of reminds me of Felino in a way where when Felino started to, to not play as well, it was like, okay, well, I have to show like what my role is. And to your point, Scott, about the special teams, him not having a chance to show that you're, you're wondering how he can, you know, kind of fight his way back in and, and show his identity. Obviously we know he's hard on pucks, but he's, he's another guy that hasn't had consistency with where he's played in the lineup as well. So it's kind of hard with that. You know, you're, you're with on the third line, you're, then you're on the fourth line. He had some shifts, like even on the first line um, earlier in the season. So it's it's tough. And so the question that we pose is, what happened to Craig Smith? I mean, where did it where did it go wrong for him? I mean, he was always he was always you know kind of streaky when he was scoring. But the <laughs> the difference is streaky implies that they're scoring at some point, and he just really hasn't even been streaky. And you, you know. You know what I think of when I watch Craig Smith play hockey? You know that song by Wham, uh, Wake Me Up, Wake Me Up Before You Go? And oh, off. of course Brian likes that song. Jitterbug. Like, <laughs> yeah, that- when I watch it play, it's like watching a jitterbug. He just he just moves and moves and moves, but it's just like it's like a pinball machine. Like, where are you going? Calm down, you know. Um, but I just don't see it. That's kind of why I, I, I pose the question because I, I, I do believe that there's a real possibility that with the emergence of AJ Greer and the natural fit of Zaka on that third line, when Marshan comes back again, injuries are always a factor, but when healthy, I just, unless he can get back into the lineup and, and prove his worth literally, then I, that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, I, I think he might have to be somebody who is, who is not on the team come springtime. Um, it's just, it's just, it's, it's a factor of the Bruins having more depth this year. Uh, and, you have to, you have to produce at this level if you want to stay in the lineup, especially if you're in a top nine role. And he's he, I just I just wonder if I don't know if the game has passed him by because he's he's a, he's a he's a good skater, but I think it's a fair question at this point. Uh, it's it's been it's been a I know it's only been a couple games this year, but it's a longer sample size. I mean, he was he was a he was a very heavy absence in that playoff series last year against Carolina, as was Charlie Coyle, but that third line. You know, um, Craig Smith had zero points in seven games. And so you tack that on to a struggling last couple of months of the season last year. And and what we're looking at this year, it's just it's just going to be tough for him. But he'll get another opportunity, you would imagine. It's just he's going to have to take advantage of it or else he'll find himself on the outside looking in. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about as well was the Bruins resolve, because despite the def- defensive lapses this game, they have showed a tendency this year to, to, to fight back. And, you know, they, they coughed up a lead to the Coyotes, but they were able to regain it. They coughed up a lead to the Panthers, not the whole lead, but a bit of it. And we were able to hang on tight. And then tonight they were this close to coming back from two separate three goal deficits. So that's a good trait to see out of them at least early on. Right. Yeah, definitely. And, and Jim Montgomery highlighted that after the game as well. Um, yeah, yeah, he said, thought, like, there's I, no quit in that locker room. Yeah, I thought, especially Tuesday night, like, going down 3 nothing early, that would have been such an easy game to just roll over and be like, 
whatever. You know, it's second end of a back-to-back. We have a 3 0 record to fall back on. You know, we're on we had to travel today. We're on the road. We're in Ottawa. Like, whatever. Not our night. We'll see you Thursday at the Garden against Anaheim. But they did fight back. So, like, that that's encouraging because, you know, I thought, like, if you go back to last season, they had a couple of those games, especially through January, and especially when they faced the Hurricanes for some reason, where they would fall behind and, like, the game was just gone. Like, there wasn't battling back. And, you know, it was like if they got down by a few goals, it was over and they were ready to turn the page to the next game. And, you know, I like, I honestly think there's times during a season where you kind of have to do that. Like, you're just, you're not going to have it all 82 games. You're going to have just total train wreck nights, but you don't want to have one that, you know, so early in the season. So yeah, to see them keep battling, you know, get it from three, nothing to three, three, six, three to six, five, like it is encouraging. And, you know, I think they kind of ran out of steam in, in the third period eventually. And once they go down seven, five, it's kind of over at that point, but um, yeah, it, it is a good trade and they've shown it a few times, you know, in other games, I've liked that when they've had the lead and, you know, ideally you don't let the lead slip away. You just close out the game. But a couple of these games where they've let the lead start to slip away, you know, and it's all of a sudden two or three goal lead turns into a, you know, one goal lead or even a tie game in the case of that Arizona game, they've responded to those situations well, where they've been able to bounce back and then build build the lead again and get the win. So I think all of that's good that they they can respond to momentum changes pretty well in game. Can I read you the best quote from Jim Montgomery um, after the game? He said, "You can't put the fight in the tiger, but we've got a lot of tiger in us right now." So, By the way, Jim Montgomery loves tiger analogies. He does because he said something about Greer in the preseason about how he's got a tiger tattoo and he plays like a tiger. I don't know. Yeah. He's mentioned tigers. Which at first maybe they should be the instead of the Bruins they're the Tigers this year. When he first said that, I was like, "Does AJ Greer really have a tiger tattoo?" And then, like, one of the practices after that, he was like, "Shirtless in the locker room." I was like, "Oh yeah, like he actually does have a tiger tattoo." Like, Jim Montgomery wasn't lying. Jimmy Jimmy gives me he gives me little league baseball coach vibes. Yeah, go get him, Billy. (laughs) You got a Billy. You know what I mean? That's okay. Get him next time. At least you went down swinging. Arr, you little tiger, you. Um, <laughs> uh, so I think I think I think we're we're uh, we're we're about to hit hit that limit on this episode. Bridget, are you going to are you going to change your alarm your 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 cell phone alarm to the uh, Ottawa Senators goal horn? Oh my god! No, I threw this. My key takeaway. Uh, this is well. I'll wrap my my thoughts up. My key takeaway from that Ottawa Senators game is that that goal horn is so obnoxious. It goes off for like a whole minute, like 10 times, and it's so loud. And maybe this is just me me being an old lady, but I'm like, it's too late for this. It's giving me a headache. It's it was so loud and it was it was horrible. And as a broadcaster, you're like, when's it gonna stop? Can I talk again? Uh, and then my goal horn just went off right now. My dog barked again. So <laughs> I like Scott's tweet making fun of the uh the premature goal horn that went off. Um because, yeah. like you said, you can't blame them. I know that that guy was just assuming like most shots are going in. So, <laughs> and the light went on and everything. My my little my little thing that I'm starting to get bothered by, and I, I tweet this out, but so the Bruins now take the ice for warmups to that Timmy Trumpet song that uh, the Mets made famous. It was it's a song that their closer Edwin Diaz came out to, and like that became like a really cool thing in New York over the summer. But now, like, every team in every sport is using it. They played it in Ottawa just before the opening face-off tonight. And I'm like, this is this is classic, like, culture just killing something good. Like, you, we mm-hmm. can't – when something clicks one place, we can't just leave it there. Like, everyone has to take it up. And within a couple of months, it just becomes total overkill. And, like – I thought, like, I thought that was so cool with the Mets. Like, I, I thought it's one of the greatest, like, closer walkout songs that we've had in in a while. And now it's just going to be 
it's going to be played everywhere and it, like it's not going to be special there's nothing special about it now it's just it's now it's just another anymore. another crappy warm-up song that you hear like every single time you go to a sporting event you know i, I heard through the grapevine that that coach montgomery wakes up every morning with that song playing while he gets the box of frosted flakes with the tony the tiger on it makes his cereal and watches tiger king with carol baskin so, <laughs> no, he he has he has a uh, shipping up to Boston playing. He shared with us the other night that he no, what's, he, what's he got goosebumps song? when that was playing in the third period. He, <laughs> he couldn't remember who the band. Oh was, my god! What's that song that Joe Exotic sings? Um, oh, there's so many. Uh, there's because you love me. Uh, no, 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 no. Like a tiger saw a man. Whatever. <laughs> I saw a tiger. That's what it is. He's, that's he has he has like 10 original songs uh i, I actually played one for one of the show opens on eei a few years ago it was, actually, <laughs> it was actually pretty 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 goddamn catchy if i may say so myself um all right guys i think we should wrap it up there um the bruins play the ducks on thursday hampus lindholm welcome uh, that should be party. fun the bruins offense going up against that ducks defense right now that just cannot stop anything they're giving up like 40 shots a game. And you know what else? Based off what we saw tonight in Ottawa, if there's any night for Trevor Zegers to pull off the Michigan again, it might it might be against the Mike Riley Zaboro pairing or something like that. Cause <laughs> boy oh boy, he's, he'll have a field day down over there. Um and then the Bruins get a they're playing a struggling, surprisingly struggling Minnesota Wild team on a Saturday matinee at the Garden. So we will have our next recording after that game that I imagine will probably drop on Sunday or, or, or Monday. I think we're uh, we're gonna do one after the Anaheim game, maybe. I don't know. We'll pre- oh, look, look, Scott, it's your world. I'm just living in it. Whatever you want to do <laughs> is what I'll do. You tell me, and I'll be there, Tiger. Okay. Yeah, this is. The, I mean, maybe we'll do our first podcast from the ninth floor right after the game. Just run up after we talk to the uh, talk to the guys in the locker room. Me and Scott just go up, record a podcast. Looking yeah. at the ice, the garden ice. It's perfect. They'll, you guys will set up your recording station, and then Blades will walk in, and nobody will think twice. And then I'll take off the Blades hat, and I'll <laughs> we'll do, it, we'll do it in person, we'll all three of us. How's that Okay, sound? perfect. Perfect, Brian. All right. Well, then I'll confirm with Scott our next recording session. But thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk soon. Man, what's that guy's name? Joe Exotic. He has some great songs. Mm-hmm.